What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we're doing something a little special today. <clears throat> it's coming up to Christmas. Uh, Tony is off doing his thing. Everyone else is busy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand you over to me. And I had an interview several years ago talking with a screenwriter and a novelist, Peter Atkins. Peter Atkins responsible for the scripts for uh, several of the early um, Hellraiser films, including what we talk about a lot in this film, Hellraiser Bloodline uh, and Wishmaster. Um contributed several books as well but in this interview I talked with him about his relationship with Clive Barker uh, the writing of those early Hellraiser films what happened with uh, Hellraiser Bloodline and how it ended up being um, kind of sliced and diced a little bit by the studio um, it's a great conversation it's about uh, two, two and a half years old about that um, but anyway, enjoy and I shall see you on the other side and I am joined by uh, screenwriter and writer uh, Peter Atkins. Now, Peter Atkins, um, before he, I'll let him introduce himself for a minute, but for me, uh, the name came about because of a certain pin-headed uh, individual. Uh, I knew him from that. And we will be talking about um, uh, controversy, con- you know, maybe, uh, of, of Hellraiser 4. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. Uh, but Peter, uh, thank you very much for joining me today um, to talk uh, your work, your your sort of um, Hellraiser and Wishmaster in particular, really. But are you good? Are you okay? How are you doing? I'm I'm doing fine, Scott. Thank thank you very much for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here and uh, happy to talk about that stuff. And and also, as I, as I know from previous episodes, I'll be happy to go off on tangents as well yeah. and just yeah. uh, talk about all the stuff we like. But yes, whatever whatever you would like to focus on, we shall, sir. Whatever the whatever the mood takes us. That's what I like. That's how I like these conversational interviews. Um, I usually sure. get like I usually get three questions in, and then I look back later, and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> right. those other ones I wrote. Never touched those." Um, yeah, right, right, right. But but let's let's start. We will start with a career because you. My introduction to you is 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 Hellraiser two, sure Hellbound. Um, I love the Hellraiser series. Um, I'm always I would even consider myself to be a Hellraiser apologist. Like for some of the later films, I'm like, no, 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 that one's not too bad. Uh, yeah. I haven't actually seen them, by the way. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> interesting. And I mean, obviously, you know, I've I, I've been into it before about mm-hmm. uh, Hellraiser, and it's funny the way. I guess depending depending upon their commitment to yeah. <laughs> to Hellraiser fandom, um, hosts I've talked to are either you know very strict about the four theatrical movies count. And the right. others are all crap. And then there are other people who are like, no, you know, I like, I regard it as like, like a TV show or a comic book. You know, it's an ongoing franchise, and this one's bad, but this one's good. This mm. one's not so bad. So, I, and I, for my sins, have not watched them, so I have no idea. You know? <laughs> so it's like I'm always interested to learn which ones they like and which ones they don't. But it's it's like hearing about a band you haven't heard, you know. Yeah. Or, or I suppose because I'm connected, it's it's like hearing about a band you've left. 
yes. and they're talking about yeah. the new guitarist. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're later albums. You know, we're all we're yeah, up. right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, the move to disco in the later seventies. I just <laughs> I wasn't down for it, man. <laughs> yeah, what was that? The reflection of pinheads, pins, just sort of like yeah, like a disco ball. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. I, I actually, I find I'm, I'm relatively easy to please. Like I think, you know, even like bad movies i'll be like there's something yeah. to take i take something from it if i enjoy it i know it made me chuckle or i sort of like i'll take something from it and to the hellraiser there are a, a couple i will admit that you sort of go yeah you know it's not good <laughs> but they were trying for something so I, you know they're cash-ins for them for the most part but uh but, but go, go well, back. well i mean that's circumstantially true unfortunately yes so, yes especially the very late ones were just miramax holding on to the fact they needed to make a movie to mm. retain the right. No, again, it doesn't mean a good movie can't result from that. No. You know, there's there's usually a financial motivation for yeah. a company to make a movie because it's a big outlay, you know. E- even the shitty little low-budget ones, it's... There's a risk in, in to it. In human individual terms, it's, it's, it's an outlay of money. Mm. So I never object to them having a financial motive to make the movie, and it's certainly... It, it's whatever the financial equivalent of amoral is. It, it's neither good nor bad. You know, it's like a fabulous movie might result if you happen to find some great talents who work cheap, you know. And, and equally, as as all fans of movies, unfortunately, now, you can spend a fortune and get very famous people and make a piece of shit, you know. Yeah. So it's, you're uh, you're not G-rated. Can I? No, do I need no, to watch no, no, my, no, no. my northern tongue? No. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah, we'll be talking about. <laughs> I'm I'm sure the language will def- will, will come in handy. Um, you're right. <laughs> going back though, two two two. Um, how yes. how did how yes. did you how did you get the the job then? How did the gig come about to write Hellbound? Oh sure. Um, well, it's like they say, son. It's not what <laughs> you know; it's who you know. Mm. Um, which which actually is 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 true. I should <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but. Uh, without suggesting anything uh, corrupt or weird, <laughs> I I'd been um, I started out in actually I started out in music because mm. I'm from Liverpool and you're obliged to you know you got to be in a band <laughs> or, or play or play footy you know, yeah it's, uh, one two paths there you go yeah <laughs> exactly it, well you know you're not kidding because I was a, I was a working class lad yeah. and um, the notion of a life in the arts was essentially alien it was you know it was something that posh people did or, mm. I, I don't know what it wasn't that conscious except but you looked around us this is true of all blue collar towns but in my particular case it was liverpool and the two ways that you could avoid being a geography teacher no offense to geography teachers my cousin <laughs> is a geography teacher but were, were sport or pop music rock music whatever yeah, you want yeah. to call it um as it happened, I then branched into theatre, and I'm I, I making this is a very long-winded way to get to answer your question. But yes, that, that's a very normal situation for blue-collar kids, as you know. So I'd been in uh, actually, it's a very direct connection. I was in a band. I was, I'm so used to saying high school now that I live in America, but I was in senior school, as, yeah. as we used to say when I was there. And um, and I we kicked our drummer out for the usual completely petty <laughs> 17 year old reasons but we had a gig and we needed a drummer and I was told that this kid who was two years younger than us Graham Bickley was a drummer so in time honored 
English schoolboy tradition. I walked up to him in the corridor and said, hey, Bickley, you're in my band now. We've got a gig on Saturday. I exaggerate for humorous effect, but it was, uh, it was a bit like that. And as it turned out, um, the lad who I asked to play drums, we became very close friends. His name was Graham Bickley, who, who later went on himself to a, um, a fairly successful West End career. He was the second Joey in Bread. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, not the first Joey. Everybody, <laughs> I know everybody prefers the first Joey, but uh, but he had a gig, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was years from now. But um, after he'd been in the band for a couple of weeks, he said to me, "You should meet my sister's mate, Clive. He's like you. He reads books," mm. which was clearly an unusual enough thing. It's a very general statement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, so a meeting was arranged in Allerton Library in Liverpool in June yeah. 1974. And, um, I, yeah, we're kids. I, I think I, if it was 74, I was 18 going on 19. And I guess Clive was 21 going on 22. And so I met Clive and Doug, uh, who had been at a different school with Graham's sister. Mm. That, that was the point of connection. Uh, I was at the Blue Coat. They were at Quarry Bank for the completists out there. And they had just be a sort of embryonic theatre company. They'd done stuff at school, in the same way that I'd done music at school. Mm. They had done theatre at school. But now that Clive had completed university, um, Doug was a, Doug's in between us. Doug's a year older. For people who aren't hardcore Hellraiser people, I should say, the guy I'm talking about, Doug Bradley, I'm sure you know Clive Barker. Yeah. The other guy, Doug Bradley, is the guy who plays Pinhead yeah. in... In the hell, I, I know you know that, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for the for the civilians, for the, for, yes, yeah, yeah, for the less um, informed, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so this was 1974. So then we did theatre together oh. for the next. Um, it seems like such a short time now that I'm an older man. <laughs> but you know what it's like when you're young. I'm um, different. It's all relative. Of, of school, yeah, are like a huge part of your life perceptually. So um, I guess I was only with them for six years. The dog company, as we came to be known, continued after I left for a few years. But I left in 1980. So I guess I only did it for six years, but it really does. It has that same sort of import in our lives. Mm. I, I think I can speak for Clive and Doug as well. As school or university mm. does, it really lodges there as a big chunk. So, sorry, trying to make a long story short. <laughs> after Clive had done... Uh, I, I went back to Liverpool. I, I left the dog company. Went back to Liverpool, formed a slightly better band mm. that actually <laughs> almost made a living. Not quite, but um, and Clive went on to um, be quite successful as mm. uh, the guy who'd written the books of blood. Um, and then he'd made this movie Hellraiser, and um, the New World, who were the American company that had financed. Hellraiser, it hadn't been released, but they were pretty confident. They knew they knew mm. it was good, um, so they wanted a sequel. But Clive and his producing partner Chris Fig, um, who at that stage, and I wish this had happened, uh, planned to be the new Hammer. They thought, you know, we oh, want to okay. be like a, a UK-based yeah. horror production company. Um, and, and you know, briefly they were, except the the only thing. Chris went on to produce Hellbound, which which I swear to God I'll get onto in a second, <laughs> um, and also did Nightbreed, though he, 
unfortunately, there was um, issues during Nightbreed, and Chris was no longer involved by the end mm. of Nightbreed. Um, so didn't become the new Hammer, unfortunately, which would have been great. But anyway, um, why did I say that? Because they didn't want Clive to just write and direct the sequel to Hellraiser. They wanted, they had plans for. Interestingly, for Clive Barker fans, they should know that um, what they, what Chris and Clive wanted to have happen, was for Clive to write and direct a Harry Damore movie. Harry Damore is the protagonist of. Um, what Lords of Illusion. Lords of Illusion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it wasn't <clears throat> Lord of Illusions at that point. It was a different <clears throat> one. <clears throat> Lord of Illusions is based on an existing short story he'd done <clears throat> called The Last Illusion. Um, but Clive had written a Harry Damore movie, and they were they wanted to make that. So they needed a writer and a director for the Hellraiser sequel. Um, as it happened, the Harry Damore movie <laughs> didn't pan out. <laughs> They couldn't set it up. So um, so I guess Clive could have, uh, he's certainly capable of, mm. uh, <laughs> having written and directed Hellraiser 2 himself, but he wasn't available. Um, so I had written, I'm trying to think, I'd made a couple of sales, but I don't think I'd been published yet. Mm. But I was doing short stories. And because, you know, we had six years in common we stayed very close friends i guess i should have mentioned yeah. that um after all we didn't we parted amicably as, as right. the same yeah, yeah. or divorce courts um so we'd stayed very close friends and so uh, yeah long story short clive showed chris fig something i i, mm. I think a, a novella or a, anyway um and the real reason i could get into the movies was that the pound was so weak against the dollar. I'm, I'm not kidding. That New World didn't give a shit. It's like the, the, the pound was so cheap that when, and they had confidence in Chris because they'd seen Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. So they thought, well, this, this guy has delivered us a good movie. I'm not giving credit for the movie to Chris, but that's how completely Chris is yeah, introduced. Yeah, yeah. No, so, um, so they had some confidence in him, but also, the pound was so weak. There was like so when Chris said, "I found a guy to write the sequel." Um, it was it was, it was like chump change. It, like it wasn't. He, he said, "We I got to pay him. I've got to put him in a hotel for a couple of weeks." And again, I'm exaggerating for comic effect, but it was like, "Yeah, fine with us. Let's see the draft." Yeah. So you know, we didn't have to jump through many hoops. Oh, okay. They, um, I, I guess, in a, in a way. Chris took Clive's word for it mm. and New World took Chris's word for it. I mean, obviously, Chris did his due diligence. We had a chat. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I charmed him. I charmed him, <laughs> Scott. That's, that's what happened. I baffled him. I fooled yes. him. I bamboozled him. <laughs> and, um, and actually, you know what? Was, first of all, you can't fool Chris. He's a very, very smart guy and an excellent mm. producer. And... Um, just for anybody who might be interested in, in screenwriting or whatever out there, it, it's weird how the little pieces of advice are what stick with you. And he said it almost humorously because obviously I hadn't written a screenplay. I'd written fiction mm. um, and worked in theater, but I hadn't written a screenplay. And so after we had a nice chat, you know, and it, it really was 
I realize I'm very lucky and, you know, there's a lot of luck and circumstance here, but Chris and I clicked and we had a nice conversation. And just as I was leaving to go to the Hampstead hotel in which he was putting me up to write the script on a manual typewriter, by the way, I was going to ask. That's, yeah, I was say that's that, yeah. how long ago this was. <laughs> um, just as I got to there, he said, Oh, Pete, Pete. And I said, Oh, I, I know we're not visual. It's only audio, but Scott can assure you listeners that I'm, I'm holding my thumb and my first <laughs> finger just an inch apart. And Chris held that up in the air and said, Pete, I don't want to see any dialogue longer than that. All right? Right. And I said, oh, good to know. Because, you know, I wouldn't have known. I didn't know. Mm. Um, so, but it, weirdly, just that little piece of information informed me subtextually that mm. clarity and brevity and precision were important in screenwriting. In other words, don't waffle. You know, that, yes. that, that's basically... Keep it, keep it short and punchy. Yeah, keep thing. it clean. Yeah. And and by the way, if there are any people out there seriously interested in screenwriting, I, I won't make this a, a screenwriting uh, seminar, but um, keep it clean, keep it short, keep it tight. Think in pictures. You're not writing a book. Don't get in somebody's mm. head. Write down what they do what they say, what we see. Yeah. That's it. So, uh, so, so, yes, sorry. That was a, a 14-minute answer no, fine, to your good. question. So that's, that, and that's how I got in the movie business. Yeah. Thank you. That's good. And that's fascinating. I love, I love this idea of, you know, that, that you said there that, that, you know, Clive trusted you and, and Chris trusted Clive. And so they sort of that, that, you know, and it worked out. Um, and it's Thank good to yeah. yeah. I, I, could have made Clive look really bad if I'd done a shitty job. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it? How, you know, so was it you're locked in the room for like five days and you're just sort of tapping away, sort of, uh, right. you know, banging this thing up. But what, one of the things I'm interested about, because um, you, you sort of, you know, we, we joke before about sort of how people view the Hellraiser franchise. Like, you know, these are canon yeah. and these aren't and all this other stuff. It's all right. a nonsense. But they're very much, they have this sort of like, they are, they are sort of like different versions of sort slight variations on the character but one of the distinctive things about hellbound is and you know i'll, I'll put, I'll put it this to me it's like alien and aliens all right so you have like you know hellraiser is a very small compact film it's very much in a single house you know it's right. very much in the single rooms there's a little bit of expansion but hellbound is much larger like not just the sure. not the, not just the chanard institute but like you actually go to hell well, to do the right. dimension you meet we go to hell. yeah right. yeah you literally go to hell so um when, when you you know when you were given those directions or when you're not you know not no more dialogue than that right <laughs> but when, when you were sat down to do this were you given any of the steer did clive come and say like oh yeah i want to expand on oh shit yeah. Origin, oh yes or, yeah no or, quite quite separately from um a pragmatic meeting with a producer. Yeah, it was it was like being back in the theatre company, you know, as I knew it would be. Um, as I say, he had his own project he had to go to. But um, we basically, I mean, obviously, I wrote the movie. I get sole screenplay credit. But the story, mm. like if you describe the story in a one page or, you know, a TV guide log line, Clive and I came up with the story together in one night. It, it was... Um, it was like being back in dog company. We um, went round to his place. We opened a bottle, <laughs> and um, I'd seen I'd seen Hellraiser by then, which helped because I hadn't when we, when we had the <laughs> <Yeah>. conversation. <laughs> um, 
so yeah we just you know jammed a story and and obviously you know the mythos is his creation mm. so we jammed a story based on threads he laid consciously or on in the first one so yeah i'm sorry i shouldn't have no, 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 that. i don't mean to imply um because you know very often when a, when somebody in an artistic field becomes a celebrity their name on a poster is often meaningless you know mm. it's like literally they've paid somebody like I've had that experience a couple of times myself where there's a, a big name on the poster, but it's, you know, it's really, can we put your name on the poster for $400,000? Oh, you bet you can. Um, so I do, I certainly do not want to give that impression about Hellbound. Um, the story of Hellbound was um, made up one night on the floor of Clive's apartment in Crouch Hall Road. Was he still in Mountview or had he moved? I can give these addresses now because it's no good knocking on those doors. Yeah, now. gone there. Uh, gone um there was crouch hill road i lived in in uh denton road in hornsey and clive was up around the corner maybe still on mountview but anyway it was no oh it wasn't liverpool we we had all moved to north london by then mm. um i'm getting mixed up of course i'd moved back i was no longer in denton road so yeah he was yeah but he still lived in that neighborhood anyway um we uh, came up with the, the orange. Yeah, with the story. I mean, the thing is, obviously, I would like to think that execution is everything mm. <laughs> and that I brought it marvelously to life on the page. But the bones of the story really didn't change much. There was, I, I don't want to make it all about one movie, Scott. I'm sorry. No, no, we've got just, time. We've got time. So let's we'll work through it. The only big and sort of in terms of the franchise interesting thing. Um, was that we had assumed we were going to have uh, Andy Robinson for the sequel. Andy had played Kirsty's dad, yes, Larry, in the first movie. And um, we assumed we had him. So my first, so in the, the story that Clive and I come up with, and then in my first at least two drafts of the screenplay, if not three, Larry was still in the story. Mm. Um, and then, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, Andy didn't want to do the movie. So, <laughs> so, and this would by now, I think we'd even, I think Tony Randall was on board. I think they'd brought Tony over. So we were probably only like a month from production. Nice. And it was like, oh shit, we, <laughs> we haven't got Larry. So, um, so that was a quick bit of rewriting. <laughs> but I'll tell you the truth. The weird thing is, and I've, I, as I say, Clive and I are old friends. So we have a, the shorthand friends have, which is mm. you can have violent disagreements and not hate each other. And because the, I, this is none of what I'm about to say is any disrespect to Andy Robinson, who was fantastic in the first movie. And he's the fucking Scorpio killer from Dirty Harry for Christ's yeah, sake. We yeah. love him. But, um, boss, I. I was against Larry being in it from the get-go because it didn't make sense. Because it's mm. like, what the fuck did Larry do to deserve being in hell? But in other words, again, this is very inside baseball, and I'm sorry, but, but yeah. for the hardcore fans, the, the thing that sends Kirsty 
Hellbound in the movie is what she believes to be a message from her father, scrawled yeah. in blood. I'm trapped. I'm here. I'm help, here in hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the first couple of drafts, actually was a message for Larry because mm. Larry was in hell. And I was like, like I say, we'd opened a bottle of Bermuda in the plot in. So by one in the morning, I'm screaming at Clive, what the fuck is he doing in hell? <laughs> yeah, he's a victim. This show. Can anybody go? Yeah. Um, but Clive, and you know, Clive obviously is a smart guy and saw the logic of that, but he's also a pragmatic guy. And it was like, if we can have Andy Robinson in the picture, we're having Andy Robinson in the picture. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. So anyway, when when that happened, when we t- when we learned we weren't going to have Andy, mm. although it meant a fast bit of rewriting from me, I was I was pleased because yeah. I thought it was much cleaner that it was like, no, it's always been Frank. Wicked Uncle Frank's yeah. evil plan, which is what I wanted it to be. So it was like, no, it's not. I like, yeah, it's a good. I mean, it's a good reveal, yeah, because it's that thing for Kirsty to be like, you know, she's sure, been pushing sure. herself to save what she believes her father. And then she's like, oh no, my rapist fa- uncle, sort of like, yeah, is, exactly. you're like, oh wow. Um, talking about talking about sort of, there was one thing I I saw as a rumor. I've got here the basis sort of, because they get the origin stories as well, don't you? you get um, you know, Pinhead is is. Uh, Captain Spencer, you get more, most of his sort of thing um, in, in number three. You, you do, yeah, yes. Sorry, you get later. yes. But, I, um, I've got to admit, Scott, I'm sorry. The phone rang in the background while you were saying it. That's sorry. It, is, is it disturbing your audio? No, 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 I can't hear it at all. Can't hear it. No. Okay, no, it's fine. It's funny because um, we make Glenn Hirschberg is leaving a message. So I was going to, uh, <laughs> I'll call him back afterwards yeah. and say, make sure you listen to 20th Century Geek. You might hear yourself in the background <laughs> leaving a message. Um, they matter. That's fine. Um, yes, you did. But yeah. to, when you were putting two together, was that you say about those things? Were you because you've obviously talked about um, you know this growth and sort of like um, the twist of sort of Larry and Frank, but you've obviously like it grows Pinhead. You know, you go to to hell and, and you've got this other stuff and you get. A oh, sure, yeah. But were those things of like the, the origins of you know. Uh, uh, um, you know, Captain Spencer and, and Chatterer and all that sort of thing. Was that that was that there? The um, not. Uh, let me think. The like the yeah, it was always part of the story that Kirsty would quote marks win mm. by reminding the Cenobites of their humanity, which which both she and we the audience, you know hadn't considered, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Well, presumably these are eternal demons and always have been. Um, but there was no, you know, I, I can't be precise about this because obviously by the time of the shooting script, mm. um, we had Doug's character. I, I had not named him because you, you see a photograph and yes. you see Doug's real face and and of course, then there's the the origin scene in the Nissan hut where the hell's hammers pound the nails into his head. So you know he was a soldier, mm. um, and you know Chatterer turned out to be a boy, which really pisses Nick Vince off to this day. Oh really? Nick Vince played. The, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like because it was like well it wasn't me then. Yeah. Um, and I, actually, you know. Some of it was just pragmatic because it's, mm. it's also, it's not, Bar- when we see the female Cenobite revealed, it's not Barbie Wilde. Yeah. Who plays the female. And um, 
I you'd have to check with Tony Randall about this because I wasn't I don't think I was on set the day they shot that. Um, but my best guess is it couldn't be Barbie and Nick because almost certainly they were in Cenobite costume and mm. makeup. Um, you know, we they didn't put aside a separate day um, to do the extra filming. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it was just sort of and you know. The little boy chatter thing, that was me and Tony Randall. That was later. Because no offense to the other Cenobites, but it was just a sort of throwaway. The thing we wanted to reveal was Pinnett had been an English soldier in the early 1900s. (laughs) Um, But so it was kind of throwaway. And we it was something Tony Randall and I said at some later stage when I was doing some dialogue polish or whatever. We just thought, oh, maybe it's a kid. That's creepy. It is. It was so nasty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nick, Nick is Nick is mad at me to this day. In fact, <laughs> I, he wrote his own. He wrote his he own did. alternate origin story. That's right. I've yeah. I've heard of that. I have. I've never seen it, but I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, it works. Like it's one of those things. Where you say it's it's one of those. You say throw away. It's one of those sort of things in a film because one of the things, especially when you watch three. And it's sort of you get more right. of you get more of Captain Spencer's background, sure, of this corruption and this sort of how, how we got there. And you go, okay, well that's fine for someone who's gone through the traumas of war. What the fuck happened to a ten-year-old yeah. to make him get to yeah. that point? <laughs> exactly. What kind of Hannibal Lecter shit was this? Kid yeah. Up to? yeah right. So I've always liked yeah. that moment. It's very. No, it's, it's, yeah. no, you're absolutely right, and. Um, but I'm not crowing about it because I'm not kidding when I say throw away. You know the way it's like, you know, when, you, when you're when tossing ideas around, everything you're saying is analytically correct. Like, mm. it's, it turns out it's a big idea. Mm. Could it, how evil could a child have been to, to have become a <laughs> demonic entity in hell? But, well, you know, that, that's the thing about... Um, what, What's the cliche? The red hot furnace of creation. It's not a conscious thought, you know, like analysis doesn't come first. It it was, I think, I mean, obviously I'm quoting from memory after 34 Hmm. years, so I I can't claim this as verbatim the conversation, but I think it was that sort of that quick giggling. What if it's a kid? God, that'd be great. And obviously subconsciously, it's exactly what you're saying. I'm, I'm sure our subconsciouses were doing the analytical work and thinking, oh yes, this is a profound point to make about the origins of human evil. Um, but it was just like, oh, that'd be cool. A kid. But what you're saying, you're saying about the visuals. You're saying thinking what people see. Yeah. You know, because right. it's there for like, a couple of seconds. Like it's there for like, you know, 15, oh, yeah. 20, 20. But like you say, as, as a visual, as a striking visual, you just, like you it say, it's, 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 yeah, it's, a, sure. it's a gut punch. And so it works on that level, most definitely. So, um, yeah. So I, I've always been a. I mean, Oh, I thought it's, it was your cat. No, children. Um, yeah, so it, it works that way. So we will keep moving because I say we, I am aware of time. But we are, so that's a, Hellbound 2 or Hellbound. Um, yeah. Obviously, sort of like it was, it's, um, it weirdly brings a, a, a close to the story, you know, sort of you have, uh, oh, sure. you have, like, you know, um, the main character sort of like, they, you know, they sort of bond and leave together and sort of like, you know, mother, daughter, right. sisters, whatever. You've resolved this thing with with um, Pinhead and um, Julia's been you know been sort of taken to hell. She's been sort of you know so it's very interesting. Sort of it, it feels like a chapter closed, and then you obviously get the uh, the pillar 
coming out of right. the mattress at the end of the film. So there's right. that obviously that cliffhanger. But was that always this? That we'll move on to three. But was that always yeah. an intent of like that's a sort of a bit of a, you know, is it just a bit of a tease, or or was it just a sort of again a throwaway of someone going like, do you know what would be really creepy? <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, yes and no to all the parts of that question because again mm. as, as is very often the case with you know whether it's an album or a movie or a book or a painting it's like it's a pragmatic accident mm. that cannot because um, just so you know Scott that pillar wasn't meant to come out of the mattress Julia was meant to come out of the mattress yes because um, again, in, in the dreams of being the new Hammer films, uh, Chris and Clive, and again, remember, when I was writing Hellbound, Hellraiser hadn't come out. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, I'd seen it. I knew it was good. Um, but it wasn't, we weren't, we weren't under the pressure, or I wasn't under the pressure of writing a sequel to a hit horror movie. I was merely under the pressure of writing a sequel to a good one, which is bad mm. enough. You know. But they, they, this is difficult for fans of, of the franchise 35 years later to realise, but they didn't know Pinhead was going to be a star. No. The intent was that Julia would be the franchise character because they were hoping for a series. We closed Hellbound, at, exactly as you say, like it feels like a satisfying conclusion mm. if it is the conclusion. Um, because none of us knew um, how successful one and or two were going to be. Um, So we wanted to feel that it could end, Um, but Chris and Clive were quite keen on a franchise if they could get one. Because remember, this is the late 80s. Mm. We're surrounded by Nightmare on Elm Street, successful franchise, Friday the 13th, successful franchise, you know, all all, and all the ones I'm missing at Halloween. Um, So they were fully on board for the notion of a franchise. And I think it was Clive's thing rather than Chris's. Um, good little feminist that he is, mm. um, Clive thought, well, isn't it about time we had a female, uh, a female Freddy, so to speak, which might have been the unfortunate way of phrasing it. Because Claire Higgins, who, as you, I'm sure you know, some people might went on to a fine, successful career mm. in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, so I'm going to guess that if that was how they pitched it to Claire, you're going to be the female Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> she might have thought, oh, no, okay. I'm fucking not. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but anyway, for whatever reason, um, Claire, who was lovely, and you know, we got on, everybody got on well. Um, but for you know, she elected not to hmm. uh, continue, which was probably fortunate because it avoided the embarrassment of the other thing that happened, which was Hellraiser had come out by then. After I'd written the first three drafts of hmm. Hellbound, and some marketing genius, and I'm not being ironic, in um, not ironic, sarcastic. I'm not being sarcastic in New World's marketing department. I'd seen Doug's face in the Jeff Porter's makeup and thought, fucking hell, that is the poster. Um, So in between the decision to have Julia, oh, I should go back and explain, the the same gag, the mattress, the removal men, the bloodstains, 
it opens up but the new the queen of hell was going to rise out of the mattress levitate in the room and and yay whoa watch out for hellraiser 3 queen yeah. of hell or whatever it was going to be and we shot it by the way and um, we had claire on a wire in mm. um, i think on one box set you can see the footage but it was green screen of course because we were going to have a hellish background yeah, emerge yeah. with her so but they never got around to doing the green screen because by then we knew, no, it's not going to be Claire. We need to come up with something else to come out of the mattress. So he is Claire in, in a very nice black dress, um, emerging, levitating up from the mattress just against a green screen. Um, I've got three danglers there, haven't I? What am I saying? So, oh, yes. Yeah, so because what had happened was the guy had put Pinhead on the billboards mm. and the public had made it very clear to Chris and to all of us, but, you know, to Chris as the uh, head of Fil Film Futures was the name of their production company, um, that it was like, no, this is the guy. Yeah. This, this is who we wanted. This is your franchise right here. So, um, which, you know, we are, clearly we must have already had a sense of that, even though the movie hadn't come out, because... In my script for Hellbound, there's a lot more pinhead. Mm. Well, there is, of course, no pinhead in the first movie because he's just called Lead Cenobite. Yes. And as I'm sure you know, pinhead was just a crew member's joke. Oh, do we need pinhead on set for this one? <laughs> and it just stuck. You know? um, but uh, although, although I didn't come up with the origin, the whole Elliot Spencer stuff, until number three, there is a lot more of him. Yes. Hellman. So clearly we could tell, I guess, from test screenings or whatever, that these guys look good, sound good. Audiences, we assume, will like them. Mm. So, so, but, you know, the movie was wrapped. <laughs> it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was done. done. So we went, oh, God, now I want to give credit where it's due. And I, so we knew what, We've got to just have something else come out of the mattress. Yes. And uh, assure your listeners, you can see me pondering and shaking. <laughs> and, um, Working I swear it out. To God, I, I literally, I know that it will have been, um, it will have been either possibly just me and Tony in the room, because, you know, at that stage, Chris mm. and Clive are trusting us, we're, we're the filmmakers. Um, or it could have been me, Tony, and Clive in the room, or it could have been me, Tony, Clive, and Chris. Um, any of those combinations, the two-person, three-person, or four-person as possible. And one of us was obviously smart enough to say, <laughs> what about a pillar with bits <laughs> on? Um, and I honestly don't know. I would love, I would love to look you in the eye and say, oh, yes, <laughs> that was my idea. I don't know. Could have been mine, could have been Tony's, could have been Clive's, could have been Chris's, because we were, we was, you know, we were on the hoof, you know, it's like, uh, mm. well, something's got to come out the fucking mattress. We filmed the mattress opening. Um, so whichever one of us was brilliant enough to think of um, a pillar with bits on, um, it happened then. So that was, and, and yes, at that point, again, long-winded, I'm sorry. Mm. But to answer your question, yes, at that point, it was, it was a tease ending in the sense that the, the story you have just watched has concluded. Yeah. And in fact, as you know, from the sequel, 
the Kirsty narrative, the Cotton family narrative, is, is done. Is done. Hellbound wraps yeah. that up. Um, so it was just, you know, a standard little, um, but hell survives yeah. kind of kind of thing. And and of course, we could put Pinhead's face, flayed face, mm-hmm. on the pillar. Though it wasn't Doug, it was it was Jeff Portas, the uh, the guy who designed the make past, kind of yeah, yeah, the special effects, yeah. Um, so you know, in, in other words, even though we had Kirsty had Moved cured on. him or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. reminded him of his humanity, um, we put him on the pillar to. You know, like having grown up in uh, the mid to late 60s, like at the end of every James Bond film, you got the little credit, James yeah. Bond will return. Yes. So the uh, the flayed face of Pinhead was a, we're not sure how we'll work it out yet because we have just <laughs> had him destroyed by Chenard, but Pinhead will return. So, yeah. He is, that, the, that he is the, the retaining character, isn't it? So it makes sense. It works well. It's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, sure. it works as a fair. But like four, four, three, I mean, this is the thing I always, I always think, as I say, block it up. Three stands, um, interestingly, because when we get to four, I've read the original script that you know it's been, oh, yeah. released, it's been released now. It's fantastic, but three stands differently because one and two continue that they they are the cotton story sort of type yeah. thing. You know, they follow that sort of that narrative. Three, because sorry, one and two become slightly timeless as well. You know, because. It's based in the first one, sort of shot in England, but like, is it? No, exactly. That's that's the big issue. Where do these movies take place? Well, somewhere equidistant from London and New York, as far as we can tell. Because yeah, because um, yeah, I think the Chinese issue at one point is sort of insinuated to be in the states and stuff like that. So I, I love that sort of murkiness of that. Um, but three is because we're getting into the 90s and it feels very much sort of like an, like an early 90s film sure, uh, in, in many sure. ways. Like, you know, I, 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 there was a thing, and I'm, I'm curious about this, because there seems to be this thing of like art galleries and sort of like art dealers seems to become a thing in horror movies in in that time for some yeah. reason. It, they just pop up a lot and I'm like, okay, yeah. interesting. Um, but I like, I, I enjoyed it because it, but it shifts well, we, we, you've got me. Now I'm fascinated. I want to know if we were first or fifth I've got to well, go it's worth having a look. It's worth having a look because yeah. they, they, they do pop up, uh, in, you know, if you sort of watch okay. um, other franchises. But uh, yeah, um, I think you may have been one of the early ones at least. But the um, pinhead sort of shifts as well because, you know, you have the sort of the, I forget them, the character, but you have sort of the club owner and, and he has this sort sure. of relationship with, with pinhead. And it, it, it's, it feels to me like leaning into that franchise prospect of making sort of like, you know, Pinhead is becoming sort of like the franchise, franchisee sure. part of it. Was that the intent by the time you got to that? Was there sort of a, a shift in tone or a shift in intent or anything? Um, clearly, when I look at the movies, I see that that is true. Mm. Um, not that I really do look at the movies. <laughs> this is always the problem when I do these interviews, by the way, because... Um, you know, as you know, it's, it's been you know, a while. It's, it's yeah. like a dog going back to sniff yeah. its own vomit. It's like, I haven't <laughs> seen them. You, you know, these movies are a lot better than I do. But clearly, um, the, the, it, what you're saying is, is pragmatically true. There is, there is mm. a shift in tone and approach. Consciously, no, I think it just happened. It, well, first of all, there, there was a long, long-ish mm. uh, 
there was a much bigger gap between two and three than there was between one and two. Yeah. And that was because New World went bust. Um, the rights of the franchise were inherited by Larry Coppin, who had a small company. He'd been a, one of the owners of New World. And Larry Coppin had a small company called Transatlantic. Um, but we were we had been going to make a Hellraiser 3, not the same story that you eventually saw, but we were going to shoot another Hellraiser 3 at Pinewood. Um, only, I'm, God, I don't even know if it was before Nightbreed or after, but we'd done Hellbound at Pinewood. Um, Nightbreed was done at Pinewood. And we, we got like genuinely like three weeks into pre-production. I've written several drafts mm. of a different story. Um, and that was going to be shot at Pinewood and but it was consciously set in America I, the, the other version mm. so and remember the, the cops in Hellbound have guns so yes. like in, in my yeah. mind you know whatever mid-Atlantic island Hellraiser <laughs> is set on it's drifted and landlocked now with, with New York so but it would have been shot sooner and it would have been shot at Pinewood mm. um, with a lot of the same uh, personnel. So that might have felt different, but New World went bust um, when we were three weeks into pre-production. So that was the end of that. And then for a while, we didn't know where the rights were. Well, I mean, we knew, but no, nobody was exercising them. Yeah, no Larry Coppin wanted... There were, I've written a whole article about this, which um, I can send you a link to. If Please do. I can put there it are six too. versions of Hellraiser 3. And there's, mm. the article was most recently reprinted. I wrote it originally back in the 90s. Um, who cares? But it, uh, it's currently in print in a book Danny Stewart did last year called War is Hell which is about the making of Hellraiser 3. Mm. And I, I gave him permission to reprint the article as a sort of preface to yeah. it, because it's about all the Hellraiser 3 <clears> you <throat> didn't see. Because, as I say, I'd, I'd written three full drafts of one version, written a couple of treatments. It kept changing hands, and each new owner didn't have the rights to the previous story. They right. just had the rights to the franchise. So I... Or in some instances, me and Clive. In some instances, definitely not Clive, because he wouldn't do business with that guy. Mm. And then it was me and Tony. Um, so either I or Clive and I or Tony and I had to come up with a new story for each new fucking owner of this <laughs> Do those um, scripts still, have you, do those scripts still exist? Are they sat anywhere or are they long gone? The, the, um, the, as the only two that got to full screenplay form mm. were the one we were going to do at Pinewood. Um, and the and the one that became Hellraiser three, um, yeah, there are. I mean, I literally don't have them, although I did own a computer by then. As I say, Hellbound is in and a manual, <laughs> um, but I did have a computer by the time I was doing Hellraiser three. But you know, it's eighteen computers ago. I, I, but yeah, in the great, you know, there's a big grey market for screenplays, mm. and yeah, there are. Definitely. If, if should anybody be interested, and I do not in any way encourage the <laughs> pirating and selling of uh, copyrighted material, blah, blah. But yeah, they're out there if people are interested. What's weird is that um, partly because of the situation with Hellraiser 4, where 
you know, I have been public, as has everybody, about my dissatisfaction mm. with the movie, hence the wink, wink, official release yeah. of the Hellraiser 4 screenplay. Um, but a lot of people, and again, I'm talking real hardcore Hellraiser fans here, but a lot of fans sort of talk about that script as, oh yeah, Pete Atkins' original version of Hellraiser 3, oh, they really changed it um, because they've read this entirely different story. Yeah. And it's like, hey, mate, thanks, but you know, good or bad, Nobody changes a script that much. Trust me, they are. Mm. Um, these are completely separate stories. But yeah, technically they're out there, of course. Sure. Um, Maybe the one we made. The one we made was better. Yeah. Um, oh really? Okay. You're, so you're satisfied? I, I, with yes. That. I I shed no tears for the one that went. Don't get me wrong. It was it was fine. Mm. But I do think the one we made was better. It wasn't the last one, by the way. Um, we came up with this. It, Clive wasn't involved though because Coppin and he couldn't come to terms. Clive gave me his blessing uh, to continue, uh, but, you know, because he's. I'd rather you did it than some other fucker. Yeah. Um, so Tony and I came up with the basic story for that Hellraiser three, but then Fangoria Films, who had produced a couple of movies, <clears throat> came on board. And they just made a separate sublease. I, you know, I don't know how this shit works. They made some kind of separate sublease deal with Coppin. So they wanted to make the movie. So they, Clive was willing to work with them for some reason. Mm -hmm. uh, so then we had to come up with what I think was the sixth version. Right. And that was, that was me, Clive and Tony. I, I hope Clive isn't particularly fond of it, and I hope you forgive it. It was crap. Right, so okay, I, fair enough. I think this was the... Because we'd done it like six fucking times by now. Mm. <laughs> you know, so, so we were like, how many versions of this can we come up with? There's only uh, so many ways you can cut it before you yeah, sort of like, it's not there exactly. anymore. Yeah no, yeah, no, literally, it was totally different. None of them related to each other in any mm. way other than, obviously, they would feature the box, feature yeah. Pinhead and feature people getting fucked up by it. Um, but they, they bore no relation to each other. So we were exhausted. It was like, <laughs> which is my excuse for if ever the, the five-page treatment for the gangster's daughter falls in love with some awesome <laughs> lawyer and Pinhead and the Godfather. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> so... Uh, but it was going to be made. <laughs> and then Fangoria films went bust, mm. just like New World Before them, and, and it was all dead. We thought, oh, that's it then. None of us really cared. I, I'd been hired. I was lucky enough to have been hired by them to do a couple of other screenplays mm. for other companies. Clive was off not doing... Well, he was probably off writing one of his best-selling novels. I'm yeah. not sure what he was doing. We all had other projects. Tony went off to do Children of the Night, his vampire movie. Mm. Um, so we went heartbroken and then I got a phone call from Tony, I think a good six months after all the dust had settled and said, um, oh, guess what? Larry Coppin's got the rights back. Uh, he wants to do our story. <laughs> so, so suddenly I was back on a plane to L.A. and we're meeting Larry Coppin. And um, so so the version that everybody knows is actually the fifth version of, right. of six versions. You didn't even ask that 
question. Did you? No, but it's Sorry. good to know. I love all this. This is what I love. I love this. Uh, the other thing I want to say is because you said there's a, there's a there's a book about it. Uh, what was it called? You say? It's sort of, oh, uh, it's it's um, it's written, put together by. I, I should say written by. Um, it, it's a series of interviews. That's the only reason right. I'm being confused. The the maker of the book is a lovely guy called Danny Stewart, and the book is called War Is Hell, and uh, it has a great Anthony Galatis cover. Uh, it's full of backstage and behind the scenes pictures, which is terrific mm. for fans. All black and white, unfortunately, because you know it's like a lot of stuff these days. It's print on demand technology. Yeah. They, Nobody can really sort out the color stuff. Yet. <laughs> um, so, but you know, they're perfectly well uh, reproduced black and white photos. A bunch of interviews with, I mean, Danny was indefatigable. Like he tracked down camera loader assistant number two for the second unit. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he got Paula talks to him, Terry Farrell talks to him, Doug talks to him, I talk to him. Um, and there's a couple of other. It, it's like it's it's a compendium book, if you know. Mm. What I mean. It's, oh, you mean, it's yeah, not yeah. a single linear narrative. Or, no, you know, it's, it's collective first day of March. Everybody arrived in Highport, North Carolina, yeah. and the cameras began to roll. It's um, sounds good yeah, though. It's a I'm fascinated. Book, yeah, but, I will um, find it, and there will be a link down below uh, for anyone interested. But I will definitely. I'm, I'm going to oh, find great, that. It'll be yeah. cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like this, this is the thing. So we said about this, you know, you've literally just said that the books were war, war is hell, and you're talking about the making of of three. Yeah. And I enjoy three. I think there's a great sort of um, it, that shift in tone. I actually kind of like. I think you get away with some, um, not say silly, silly is the wrong word, but like I, I, I love feel the sort free. Of, Everybody yeah. thinks CD head is silly. It was of the time. Oh no, yeah, see, yeah, it's, yeah, but you also get to do some great stuff, like you know. Um, um, pinhead in the church and all that kind of stuff. Well, that, that's great... everybody's favourite. Yeah, and it, yeah. you get some great bits. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's got some, it's good, but obviously it, it ends in a construction site. Sure. And uh, the, the lament configuration falls in, and, and it ends with that image of the building, right? Looking like the, the you know, with the, the lament configuration designs and stuff on, the on walls. it. Sure. Yeah. So, and that's where you go, oh, wow, Christ, the influence this box has had is now this thing. And that's the end. And then you watch four, and there's bits of that. And I've, I watched for, for this, and I was well, like, I've read the script, and you go, huh. Yeah. And then you read well, the script. You know, which has been really... From the script, the intent was, although you wouldn't learn it till halfway through the movie, mm. obviously, the building that, for, the, for those who haven't seen or read, haven't seen Hellraiser 4 or read the screenplay, it's three linked stories of the Le Marchand family through the centuries. Um, and in the middle story, we find out that the architect, Philip is the toy maker. She, can't remember the guy in the middle story. Is it, is it just John? John Merchant? I think it's, I think it's John. I won't yeah. have to get the script. Anyway, he's an architect. Yes, he yes. The plan, uh, you know, and it, it was a fairly simple instruction to, to follow. Uh, it seemed to me, as I said in the script, the lobby of the building. It, I mean, that was meant to be the clear through line from Edward. Oh, he went, he's the guy that built that fucking building that we saw yes. in Hellraiser 3. 
really get that sense from the movie. I mean, I can't remember. Do we just have projections of the design show on, on, on a wall inside? A yeah. Hall, the, the, as you go into sort of the, on, as you go on into the building, it's all, there's a little bit of the sort of the gold leaf. Confi- right. you know, a little bit on the, but then as you go in, yeah, it's like a light thing uh, that does it. And it's clear. Like, it's clear. They've gone. This will do. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Sadly, you've just summed up the ethos of the production of how this will do. Yeah. And um, there were people who didn't want it to do. Um, Kevin Yeager didn't want it to do, mm. um, but they were breaking his balls every fucking day. Gary Tonicliffe didn't want it to do. He kept stamping his little brummy foot saying, it doesn't look like a fucking Hellraiser movie. Um, and was trying to, you know, dangle extra chains and opportunity <laughs> but um no miramax really really well you know as a again i know i'm speaking only to the hardcore but as the hardcore fans know kevin took his name off the picture that mm-hmm. movie was alan by smithy yes the alan legendary smithy. alan smithy yeah um the most interesting filmography in <laughs> cinema history um yeah because they were really they were killing him they were they were Ripping the budget apart. Um, so it was. So, in other words, in case it has never been clear to anybody, I certainly don't blame Kevin. Kevin mm. wanted to make the movie we wanted to make. He wanted to direct that script that you yeah, just yeah. read that's in the book. But um, the fates conspired. And the thing is, there are some people who like the movie, and there are certainly great things about it, like Gary's design. The great thing about Kevin coming on to direct is, of course, you get Kevin Yeager to direct your movie. You also get free Kevin Yeager special makeup effects genius. Mm. So that was a big plus. Um, so I'm certainly not taking anything away from Kevin. As it happens, the Angelique design was Gary's, not not Kevin's. But um, she looks fantastic. Yes, you know, it's, it's it's a great Cenobite design. Um, Doug's performance is great. Um, so th- there are certainly things to like, mm. but um, but it's a mess. <laughs> that's the, that's um... the thing about it is it's one of those things, and there are, you know you hear these stories of sort of like uh, you know conflicts on set or disagreements about the, or deleted scenes. Right. And then you see then you you know like you mentioned like Nightbreed, like Nightbreed's a good good example. Like they've now released right. like you know the full uh, cabal cut, if you want to call it, and you watch mm-hmm. that and you go, oh. Yeah, it makes sense now. <laughs> like this, yeah, this whole thing's right. really cool. And you, ever since I first saw um, Bloodline, you sort of you have that feeling. There was definitely that sense of the film of there's a scene missing. I here. have a sense. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. There's, there's, there's well, something you, I, missing. I, I, here. I don't mean to be. Uh, I don't mean to pry, Scott. Um, are you old enough to have seen them in sequence as they came out? Or you're not. Yeah, right? so I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm forty. So I saw Hellra. Okay. So I was. I saw that. You know, my parents were um, not aware of some of the things I was watching. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> when I was a kid, so in the Those early nineties, yeah, yeah. I had a local video shop that had sort of. Um, you know, you made friends with the guy running. It was sort of like there was a bunch of us that was sort of like. You know, it was all about right, like, let you rent this, don't tell the cops. Yeah, exactly, sort of thing. So we sort of like that. So yeah, I saw them pretty much in order. Okay. Um, okay. Through, through the through VHS, and but I I, even, like, I remember sort of like trying to become not so much an aficionado, but you were trying to watch as many of these things, and you get to know them. 
and you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, so that there, every franchise is always those, like you know, uh, as you said, sort of Nightmare on Elm Street and, and Hell Friday the Thirteenth. Halloween's got a couple, but the weird thing with this is, as you say, sort of like it's not this a bad film because there's some stuff in that I really, I do really like. I like the concept of this thing, especially because like I'm a bit of a continuity nerd. I'm like, so this is how this all fits together, and this is oh, idea. Oh yeah, that- no, well, well, exactly. Yeah, that's that's. Thought that was. I was really proud of the fact that yeah. like, oh, and in the middle of the movie, they'll realise they're in the building they saw at the end of her, but you wouldn't. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, but that's the thing. That, no, that's what I like. And not that you, say, you can go, oh, the Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2 fit in here. And I like right. the idea that Angelique existed before Pinhead. Right. So there's this continuation of the demonic. And all that. I was like, that all, and it comes, and then, so when you watch the film though, you're like, huh, that's there, but it's not there do you know what i mean like it's 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 not the service and then when i read um the the book that's been released um um apocalypse but um the 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 full script and i was reading i'm reading that and i'm like oh oh okay okay (laughs) this is what it's supposed to be this like you said there's three sort of tales that combine to form this sort of like generational narrative yeah because um Clive was back on board by now, I'm, I'm very glad to say. Mm. So again, as with Hellbound, um, the, the story, the, the basic plot line um, was another Clive and Pete jam. Um, and it, Clive is the one who said, well, I'll tell you what it was, is we assumed this was going to be it because mm. um, most, you know, and also the Hellraiser movies, Time's been very kind to them. Financially, they weren't. As, they were never Nightmare on Elm Street or yeah. Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth. They did fine. They were very. They were profitable movies for the companies. Otherwise, they wouldn't have kept making mm. them. But but they were not huge hits. So we sort of assumed that. Well, you know, God, my God, getting four films. You know that we really thought that was going to be it. Um. So the plan was. Well, no, it wasn't a plan. <laughs> the, the reactive, uh, the reactive spasm was, well, shit, we've got a trilogy and we've wrapped everything up. Um, and I, again, Clive and I are talking, jamming. We're old friends, so I, one of us, one of us must have said, "I guess we need to bookend it then," and the other one would have said, "That's brilliant." <laughs> so I'm hoping I said it in class that that's really yeah. going to be the other way around. But anyway, somehow in the in the oh wait we yes, um, we then had the three time periods thing mm. and uh, but sorry I'm babbling because because I'm literally remembering as I talk to <laughs> um, because the plan was that it, we would sort of bookend it because we thought well we had the hell it's all done. We, we sundered Pinhead in number two. We put him back together in mm. number three. We wrapped up that narrative like we'd wrapped up the Cotton Family's narrative. So now we can prequel, middlequel, and sequel um, with different time periods. And, uh, and it was definitely, Clive definitely had the... Th- we had the book and idea, and then it was definitely Clive who said we can do three different time periods, which I thought was great. Um, and my my claim to fame on this one is that um, Clive had said Victorian London, 
because he was thinking of Jack the Ripper riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victorian London, modern day, and space. Mm. Um, and I said, um, well, hang on. In your novella, The Hellbound Heart, you mention a toy maker mm. in 18th, in pre-revolutionary France. Forget Victorian London. Why don't we do pre Why don't we tell the story? And, and at that point, either I completed the sentence and said, and tell the story of the Le Marchand family through the centuries, or I got as far as, and tell the story of the Le and Clive said, the Lamarchand family, <laughs> that's how it happens. You know, like yeah. um, if you're jamming, you're jamming. And somehow at the end of the session, that was what we had. And that's what we pitched to Miramax. And by the way, they were so on board through development and pre-production. Um, we won't talk about Harvey, but um, <laughs> Bob Weinstein ran the horror label, Dimension. Mm. Um and uh, Bob loved the script. And, um, but, you know, depending on which medication Bob is on, uh, it determines what <laughs> Bob's mood is. And the first time it tested badly, ugh, he didn't like the script so much anymore. It's all the writer's fault. Mm. He used to call me Shakespeare. And then it's like, it's all the writer's <laughs> fault. Anyway. Um, when you say yeah, it tested that was the wait, plan, wait. that it would be this sort of beautiful little 18 prequel. Hellraiser 1, Hellraiser mm. 2, Hellraiser 3, middle bit. Or, Sequel. Yeah, yeah, right. And then out in space for... Um, I, I believe we were just ahead of Leprechaun in space. You are. You're the first. Yes. <laughs> and then Jason went. Yeah, Jason and no, Nobody else. Only the three of us so far. Is that right? I believe so. Although, yeah. you know, <laughs> Fast and the Furious might be close behind, I think, for sort of... Oh, like, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> They're up there, they, they, did it, they did the last yeah, one, they yeah. The modified truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting because you just said that it tested badly, but what what about it tested badly? So, because there's something well, in my was, head, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's very specific, and in a way, we should have seen it coming. Um, but also, Bob Weinstein should have seen it coming because you don't, unfortunately for us. You don't test a movie with its fan club. Yeah. You test a movie with civilians, strangers. Um, and I am pretty confident, you know, I'm not blowing my own trumpet, I'm speaking for the franchise as a whole, that if it had been tested with pre-existing Hellraiser fans, I don't think they would have had any problem mm -hmm. with, okay, we're in hell, it's a different demon. Whoa, here's Pinhead in the middle of the movie. But... They tested it to, I'm sure, you know, Simi Valley's best and finest uh, <laughs> horny teenagers. And, um, and those horny teenagers who had seen Pinhead's face on posters for the last six years, but possibly hadn't seen the movies, you know, mm -hmm. but they thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that guy looks scary. Then they watch this movie and they're in pre-revolutionary France and where's the fucking guy with the pins in his face? Um, and it was mainly that, that it was like, where's Pinhead? And it, Bob Weinstein's head exploded. It was like, how do you do this to me? Where's our monster? People hate it. <laughs> now, of course, what should have been pointed out to Bob was, also, Bob, the movie's a piece of shit because you cut Kevin's legs out from underneath yeah. him. That might be a factor. 
don't know. But he was right that I, mm. I, I don't doubt he was telling the truth that civilians thought, I thought this was about the guy with nails in his face. This is the thing. It's interesting because I, I think I think we're, we're, we're ahead of its time. I don't know, but like... I, I often think of it, you know this this uh, justification or this you know this, this whatever people say like you know where's Pinhead he doesn't come until later. It's the same as Halloween three. Now I remember seeing Halloween three for the first time, not know, knowing nothing, and I'm sat there through like the first hour going like where's where's Michael Myers? This is about yeah. <laughs> this is about like, Halloween masks. This is weird, and hating it for that reason. I go back now, and I think Halloween three season of the week is great. great. It's a yeah, brilliant movie, sure. um, and and I did not know until very recently. I just want to throw this in. Actually, real, it originally written by Nigel Neal. Oh, Nigel uh, Neal, yeah, creative no, Quatermass. Quatermass. was a huge fan. I mean, yeah. he even uses in is it Prince of Darkness? What's his movie with Alice Cooper? Prince, yeah, of Prince of Darkness. Darkness. Yeah, is yeah, it yeah, called yeah. Prince? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't one of the characters called Quatermass, or, or, the, so. or the a, script is credited to Quatermass? There's, there's a Quatermass, there's a Quatermass reference to it. They they reference yeah, another right. professor called Quatermass. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so I, I love that. Like that was a little nugget. But I, I feel that like four is that as Bloodline is that same sort of thing where it, it, if it had been given its full due, if you'd have if everything had been filmed and everything had been done, sure, it'd be one of those things that probably like every, you know it, people would have. Um, would have eventually the, learned to like. <laughs> no, not even eventually. I think I think there would have been a generation that have gone. Do you know what? Actually, in retrospect, this is this is really good. Like it's, you know, you look at some yeah. horror films now and you go, actually, that's exactly what like people would have would have liked yeah. about it. That thing of the generational thing. I just think in the nineties, like you say, horror was on a different slant. People were looking for that quick book. Sure, it, it feels sure. like it was. It was like yeah, you said. I, the I, legs were th- I mean, th- I mean, thank you for that. Um, it. I mean, I think you're definitely right about Halloween three. I don't know if you're right about Bloodline, but but I <laughs> but it's a compliment. I, I I thank you. But I do think that both um, John and his team for Halloween three, and us, um, there is sort of a point of you, you can. It's like a band who only makes you know makes their fourth album for the hardcore fans, mm. and then is surprised when the public say. Polkas, country and western. Yes. What the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, or something. Because, and I'm not suggesting for a second that creators' hands should be tied in any way. But it's like, in a way, you do get lost. You're so used to uh, the people who really like the franchise surrounding you and telling yeah, you they yeah. like the franchise that you assume it's like a TV show. Everybody's on board mm-hmm. and now we can have a very special episode. Um, so, and, and you can, and, and I'm glad that everybody got to do it, but we shouldn't have been surprised. Like I'm sure the, the uh, Halloween team thought we've made it clear. We've been <laughs> interviewed in Fangoria yeah. and we've told people Michael isn't in this movie. And it's like, yeah, well that, so the 12,000 people who read that specific interview in Fangoria, <laughs> they knew Michael wasn't coming. But the 10 million people who went yeah. to see it on opening night, like such as yourself, were like, where's Michael? Yeah. <laughs> and, and similarly with us, you know, it's like, well, we t- we explained to everybody. We even released photos of uh, the French, the 18th century I, French stuff. I, I, but yeah, okay. So your your ten thousand hardcore fans yeah. are expecting what they got. 
but your civilians perfectly reasonably are and it's interesting i think every franchise goes through this and this is a bit of a thing like i say that like we have you have halloween three and then they go oh that didn't work so you have halloween for the return of michael myers literally it's called right the there return. in the title yeah, exactly yeah. it's like please um, come back yeah. michael's here but jason did it as well you know jason Voorhees. they have new blood isn't it like five. Oh yeah uh, right uh, where it's not jason and your mask wearer yeah yeah and they go oh he's a copycat or whatever spoilers but like and then all of a sudden they're like (laughs) all right well we're going to bring him back in six and then we're going to have four more films even um it pays off or it doesn't pay off because i mean you know you say about i think like uh, chucky with the child's play franchise did a similar thing they were like we've done we've done three we're going to change it up and we're going to do bride of chucky and i mean that could have died a death but it 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 hit the right time and the right it was great yeah, it is. It's fantastic. I think it got the humour. Jennifer Tilly was fantastic. You know, yes. Uh, she, but that's the point. But you think like that film, although Chucky's in it and you've got the, the fantastic Brad Dorif doing his stuff, like Jennifer sure. Tilly steals the show. Sure. And if, if she hadn't have been great, I think that's one of those where you go like, oh, it didn't work. No, that's that's right. That's right. Um, yes. And so, yeah, they take the risk. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Seed of Chucky right. being an example, the next one. But. I think the thing is, you you do yeah, you read this the 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 script. This is one of one of the things on one of my podcast partners, Julian, often says. We are always more excited about something that swings for the fences, and slightly misses yeah. than something that stays safe because you go, they really went for it, and it's actually you know you get something interesting, and yeah. that's what I, I, so that's why I, I admire for. Uh, you know, I kind of like some of the, the things that's followed on actually as well. Some of the, the director video books. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm always a fan of four, um, but it's interesting that sort of, it did sort of, it is one of those, what I would say is you say about the thing, you know, the legs got cut out from under it stuff. And I know some things wasn't filmed, but there right. was stuff that was filmed. That's not in the film. Uh, yes, that's true. But I, I mean, again, uh, I, I try to let everybody down gently when I say this, but it's like, it's not like they can do a night. That There is no restorable cut. Right. That was the effect. That was my um, question. You can, there are there's plenty of little clips on YouTube, to be honest, mm. where people have have managed to snaffle, again, you know, sort of grey market. They they shouldn't have access to this, and yet somehow <laughs> they do. Um, they've snaffled things from work prints, and... Um, the whole sort of Angelique and the gamblers scene, mm-hmm. you, you can see that. Um, but so I guess I guess what I would say is most most of the stuff at least had the live action master shots, and not all of it by any means. There were some sequences mm. weren't filmed at all. But even the ones that were, when you see these word print clips, as Angelique. Like, I'm trying not to do spoilers for a 30-year-old movie. Yeah, don't worry about it. This year. <laughs> Angelique turns out to be a demon from hell. The gamblers yeah. didn't realise that. Um, they're just watching a hot chick take her clothes off, but surprise, she doesn't stop with the clothes. Mm. The chest bursts open, hooks and chains, you know, all the usual hellish stuff. When you see the clip, you literally get what you get in a work print, which is a little superimposed title saying, Back explodes. Yeah. Chandelier <laughs> impales gambler. Yeah. Um, so you know, you could certainly put an assembly together as a as a Blu-ray extra, let's mm. say, um, with a big caveat saying 
50% unfinished footage. Yeah, warning contains unfinished footage yeah, or yeah. something. So you could do that, but you could you couldn't do as as they managed to do with Nightbreed. You couldn't really do a cabal cut kind of. Here's thing. the version you didn't see, mm. um, but you can read it. The the, the you know well, the scripts been released and it's it's, it's worth yes. reading. Thank thank you for the plug. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Exactly. That, that people have asked me why I didn't. Uh, the, the company that does it is called Encyclopocalypse. That's it. Yes. Um, and they now they're doing a nice little line in in sort of retro tie-in novelizations. Yeah. They've done Titan Fine, Bill Malone's. They've done Vamp. A guy called Christian Francis um, novelized both of those and novelized Wishmaster. Yes, Wishmaster turned into a novel. Um, and so, so I let them. Uh, let them. <laughs> I looked down from on high. <laughs> Ordained if they could they do. They very these kindly things. asked yeah. if I would like them to publish <laughs> the Hellraiser Forest script. And I said, yeah, please. And people have asked, well, what, you know, let them do, let them publish two and three. Um, and there's two reasons why I haven't. One is I don't have the legal right to publish them mm. because they were non guild movies. Uh, Writers Guild. Members of the Writers Guild have automatic right publication to right. their original screenplays. Um, but I wasn't a guild member when I wrote two. More's the pity because mm. the residuals from two would have bought me a house. But um, uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't think anybody would come after me. But technically, I, I wouldn't have the protection of guild rules allow me to do this yeah so that but also more to the point um i'm perfectly happy with hellraiser 2 and hellraiser 3 mm. i mean are the individual scenes i thought could have picked up the poignancy of my script a little more of course yeah um but pretty much the hellraiser 2 you see is the hellraiser 2 i wrote yes. and the hellraiser 3 you see is the hellraiser 3 i wrote so i don't feel I feel it would almost be an insult to my friends and colleagues who yeah. directed the movies. Um, because I'm certainly not insulting Kevin by putting um, Hellraiser 4 out. It's, mm. I, I'm insulting Miramax, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> screw them. Yeah. yeah, screw them, exactly. Um, but that's why it's like, it's like well, you, you know, because the script, I mean, thank you for saying you, you liked it, but, you know, a script is not a, really a reader-friendly experience you know it's, it, it's a document for fellow professionals to i mean obviously you try and make it readable you want to mm -hmm. entertain the people who are going to be your colleagues but um it's not a format that your average civilian is familiar with no. even less even less so than plays you know everybody's forced to read shakespeare and george bernard Shaw in school so they know what a play looks like but um I, well, I guess you know a generation from now they'll probably be um, they'll probably be scheduled they'll be they'll be reading Quentin Tarantino screenplays in high school instead of George Bernard Shaw. You're so probably not you're probably not far to... off. You're probably not yeah, far well, off. But as of now, yeah. um, it is a slightly unusual form. So there's no True. real need. So, so, yeah, no, it's it's great because especially if you said you know in Total Apocalypse they they're doing some great stuff and and I've got several of their books on my shelf. Um, oh yeah, uh, and. Um, because I, I love I love novelizations. I'm a big fan of the movie novelizations. Because yeah. often, especially the older ones, where um, the shooting script or the original script that was handed to the to the, to the author oh, to yes. novelize is, the end is very different. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you know, sure. so 
there's some fantastic ones. Um, and so I always love that sort of stuff. My favourite one being um, uh, Return of the Swamp Thing, um, oh. which is this is a fascinating thing because the guy who wrote it was given the script. No one paid any attention. He was like, this is rubbish. So he, <laughs> so he wrote his own. <laughs> he literally just... Or no relation? Barely, or... So it starts, the first sort of like 30 pages are sort of followed the film and then it just goes yeah. off on one. And it just, yeah, it's got Alan Moore's in it as a sort of a, a guy who owns a hotel. It, uh, Swamp Thing becomes a mountain. Oh, I've got to go. Is this, is this already $200 on eBay? No, 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 I picked mine up pretty cheaply. But have a look for Return of the Swamp Thing. Oh, I will. Oh, I'm going to check It's hilarious. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's really good. Um, So I do love those. So I do love seeing these sure. alternate novelizations. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great to learn more about uh, uh, Bloodline. Uh, we, we are, we've gone quite a while, but I just want to just—I do want to wrap up on on Wishmaster very, very quickly because sure. I really enjoy Wishmaster. Um, it, it, it's because uh, it's a different character. Um, so you know, just just quick, it's not. Was that was that your idea, or did was that sort of like someone approach you and we were like, because that's a uh, dimension? Oh yeah, right? um, that's, um, yes, is that dimension? Was... Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Is it, is it Dimension that it was, wasn't it? Dimension that made. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. It's completely different. Oh, oh no. I, I never worked for Dimension. <laughs> I was going to say that was curious. Oh, no. But, yeah. all, all those bridges were very, very <laughs> significantly burned, believe me. Um, uh, no, it was. Um, although, funnily enough, that, that there's a little connection from the early Hellraiser days because I'd become uh, good friends with a guy. Uh, an executive at New World called Eric Solskjaer, um, who was only an executive because he needed to make a living. What he wanted to be was a script writer <laughs> and a comic book writer. Right. And he did, in fact, go on to write uh, some uh, Hellraiser comics. I don't know if you know, there was a line from Marvel. Mm. Marvel had a... Impact. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah, ex- uh, yeah. Well, well, they had... Well, the Impact, they, they were later Clive titles. It was actually Epic. Epic, that's right, yeah. Hellraiser ones. Um and so Eric got to write, I think, several scripts wow, for, cool. um, for the Hellraiser comedy. And he, and he, he left us far too soon. He, he died at 50. Um, but he got a couple of screen credits as well, a TV movie and a couple of other things. But back then, he was a marketing exec at New World. He was the guy who, this is a total red, uh, not red herring, but it sidebar. Yeah. But um, if if you really are a 20th century geek, you'll appreciate this. I'd only been in the business for like a year. I was hanging out with Eric in his office. And um, I discovered that at that stage, this is way pre the explosion, New World owned Marvel Comics. Mm. And I mentioned it in passing. And Eric said something. And I realized that what he was saying was, Stan Lee's got an office down the hall. And I said, Stan Lee? Because, you know, I, I am classic. I was born in 19, late 1955. Yeah. The Marvel Age of Comics, that was me. You know, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, the X-Men, Lee and Kirby. Mm. I hope I'm... I mean, you might be a comic guy specifically. No, I am. I love it all. I'm, yeah, this I love, is yeah. very 20th century geek-ish. So I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Stan Lee? And so... Eric says, well, yeah, you want to have lunch with him? No way. <laughs> so Eric picks the phone up, and I won't for- I love Eric, but I won't forgive him this, because he picks the phone up and says to the great Stan Lee, Stan, 
I got some English guy in here who seems to think you're important. <laughs> Want to have lunch with him? <laughs> I mean, he was just breaking his balls. It was, yeah. it was funny. But, um, and so I had lunch with Stan Lee. That's it was, amazing. It was fantastic. So what? why am I telling you? That? Oh, because, okay. Because so, it's awesome. Could, That's what you're I, telling I, me. Yeah, yeah, right, right, because I want to tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that I had lunch with Stanley. Um, but Eric had then, when you will collapse, he'd got another job and he was working for a French Canadian producer called Pierre David, who'd produced um, a couple of the early Cronenberg movies, was mm. Pierre's claim to fame. And the, oh my God, I'm going blank. Uh, <laughs> what is Pierre's company called? I don't know. Anyway, Pierre David's film company. Um, Eric worked for them and shortly. I'm trying to get my math right. I, I no, it wasn't shortly after because it was it was closer to um, it was closer to Hellraiser four than Hellraiser three, but Eric was uh, working for Pierre, and I got a call. That's weird. It is. It's several years later than I thought it was. Now I think back. <laughs> anyway, he phones me up and says, hi, do you want to write an Evil Genie movie for Pierre? And I said, do I fuck? Evil Genie movie? <laughs> do me a favour. If you think I'm going to come in and pitch... And he cuts me off and says, nobody has to pitch shit. It's a paying job. Write what you want. Evil Genie, you want to do it? And I said, you know what? Sounds like a much better idea than I first thought. <laughs> uh, so I, I, again, yeah, I exaggerate for comic effect. But um, so I went in and met Pierre and and the actual producer Clark Peterson, um, and I, I guess because you know Eric had probably talked me up and said Pierre, he's written two. Well, no, it must have been three at that point because. Wishmaster was after Hellraiser 4, right? Yeah, it's 97. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So I guess at that point, yeah, you could say this is a guy who's written three hit horror. I mean, Hell the reason Hellraiser 4 went straight to video is Bloodline wasn't as successful mm -hmm. as uh, 1, 2, and 3 had been. But it was still, you know, mm. they still got a return on their investment. So, and Pierre was all about the return on the investment. Mm -hmm. So, so Eric had probably you know, upsold me as the, he's just written three hit movies for the Hellraiser franchise. So it was basically come in, shake their hand, check that I had, my personal hygiene was okay. And then <laughs> sign here, we'll give you some money, give us a script. So, so in other words, technically, um, well, again, According to Writers Guild rules and regulations, of course, it's 100% original because no written material existed mm. prior to me producing a draft of, of Wishmaster. But, um, but I didn't wake up one day thinking, I want to write a movie about an evil genie. Mm. It was Pierre thought... <laughs> Pierre woke up one morning and thought, can I find some idiot who'd be willing to write a movie about an evil genie? And Eric said, I know just the idiot. Let me call him. Uh, so it was that. But yes, no, there was no, it, it was not based on, I mean, clearly it's based on Arabian mythology. Yes, yes. Um, uh, both, both, 
It's interesting because both Zoroastrianism and Islam have jinns and efrits in common. Um, so, uh, as usual, you know, the arrogant Westerner presumes, you know, I was about to say, well, I did my research. Yeah, I mean, I read 20 Xerox pages from Encyclopedia Britannica and various other things. I don't in any way, um, especially these days where we're, we're all much more conscious of cultural yeah. appropriation and stuff. Um, although I, I will say we, we had a 25th anniversary screening of Wishmaster and much to my relief at, in the sort of, you know, meet and greet and sign things for the fans afterwards. Um, so not my age, but most of the audience, of course, were 25 mm. or so. But a 40-year-old guy, not my age, but not a kid, came up um, and said, oh, you know, loved it. Thanks very much. And so did my girlfriend, who's Iranian. And, um, and I had a little moment of, oh, God, I hope <laughs> I didn't say anything. Yeah. And, and she was lovely. And she said, she said, I, I want to thank you for being... I mean, she was laying it on a bit thick, to be honest, because I really didn't, I didn't do much in the way of due diligence, but at least I, um, I think she liked the fact had the process say, forget what our culture has made of the gen, forget yeah. Barbara Eden, forget Robin Williams. So thank God I put that in there. So, so this lovely, charming Iranian lady said it was okay. <laughs> so, well, um, it, it does sort of hark back to that sort of, like, say, the mythology, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's... Sure. They're not, you know, they said they appear in Islam and, and the stuff, and, but they're not intrinsic to it. It's the same as, like, you know, these other sort of mythological and folklore, you know... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I should be clear that I'm not insulting... In, no, in no, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no. I'm not suggesting this have anything to do... No, God, with no, no. The, ...the practice of Islam... Mm. What I would say uh, is though, you because there's there's a film, but yeah, regional mythology. Yeah, it's regional mythology. You know, so I say taking something like the Red Caps, so it's you know, some yeah, Scottish yeah, gnomes exactly. and that sort of thing. But yes. it's a cool idea. Yours was one of the first though, because later on there's a film from 2012, I think, and there's yeah. a couple of those called Gin, which is literally about an evil genie. <laughs> Ah. Um, and stuff. So, but yeah, it's interesting because I was. I was well, there's also Wonder Woman eighty four, which is pretty damn close to uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. the plotline. <laughs> yeah, mm, well, yeah. Well, I'm not saying we should enjoy more, but uh, you know, yours. Well, has, I, I yours... Like looking at Gal Gadot in that uniform, although, there is that. But yeah, yeah. You didn't have that. No, but yours has. A, I, I will say because I, I really enjoyed Wishmaster because again, it's that's one of those sort of '90s horror films that has. Um, Again, like, there's, there's just a sort of like a there's a comfortable cheesiness about it. Sort of like I love the sort of the um, the guy who plays um, the the gin. Um, oh, Andrew Devoff, yeah, it's great. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's, he's got such a sort of a good sort of evil look, smirky <laughs> sure. sort of smile. He's so sort of yeah, he's he's, he's brilliant in in that film. Uh, really enjoyable. Um, and so yeah, just that, that sort of like you, you, he looks like he's enjoying it, which I love. But also, right. like, it's not scared of the gore. Like, you have a, a, a one point in the open, that opening 10 minutes, or even less than that, probably. Of, Everybody uh, likes that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's one, a skeleton literally comes out of a person and then attacks somebody else. And I'm like, sure. that's amazing. Like, yeah, I'm on board. Like, that's sort of, you know, uh, that's sort of... I will let that... Well, thank you very much. I mean, yeah. I can take full credit for having put that in the script, but, of course, I am utterly incapable of executing that gag. And weirdly... 
are you a mole for the Gary Tonicliffe fan club? Because oddly, <laughs> just like Angelique, which I mentioned earlier, because as with um, Bloodline, where mm. we had uh, a brilliant special effects guy directing the movie, Kevin, Wishmaster, as of course you know, mm. was directed by Bob Kurtzman, who was yep. the K and KMB, the premier makeup effects company to this day in case your civilian listeners don't yeah. you know, the n in kmb is greg nicotero who is doing walking, walking dead, dead and, and yeah and creep show uh, mm. right now um but so but again e- even though we had you hire bob kurtzman's direct and you get bob kurtzman effects genius for free which is a big plus um but just as with bloodline we also had another uh, shop, they call them shops, effect shop, makeup effect shop on the movie. And again, it was it was me, old mate Gary Tonicliffe, so who'd done Angelique. That's what mm. I'm referring back to. He did the skeleton gag that you like. Um, so so that's the second round of applause for Gary in this. I don't want to be blowing him up too much. You know, no one's eager. Yeah. No, no, he's, yeah, he's full of himself, isn't he? Yeah. Is, Come on. But he's uh, a great no, but it's, it's great. A, a lot of people cite that particular thing yeah it's, it's, um, it's, it's a good and, idea and i think and again you know as we've said before so much of this stuff is unconscious because you, you're looking fast to a deadline mm. and you're just doing stuff rather than pausing to analyze but i've thought afterwards um that very unconsciously when i made that up um I probably it was I was probably riffing on uh, the Ray Brown story, in which not that a skeleton gets out in Ray's story. I'm blanking on the title. I'm, I'm appalled. I was lucky enough to get to know Ray in, in the last ten years of his life. I had lunch with Stan Lee, but I became friends with Ray Bradbury. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, one of Ray's classic stories is about a guy, it's very creepy, mm-hmm. who, who becomes, you know, he realizes he's got a skeleton inside him and it freaks him out. And it's like, you know, if you're prone to anxiety, don't read the fucking story because it will, you'll start to think, oh God, yeah, I've got a skeleton inside me. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 how do I put it? it? It remains internal in Ray's story, but the whole notion of oh, we've all got a skeleton inside us and it might want to get out. I, I, as I say, not consciously at the time, but with the benefit of hindsight, I suspect, you know, having read that story when I was 11, yeah, it was like that all this, this shit always pops back out, you know. So, uh, all those influences sit in the back of the head, yeah, you're like, oh, exactly. if we do that, that'd be quite cool, yeah. No, I, I, I wish Master's a lot of fun, um, and it has got some great sort of some gags in it that, that, that work really well. Um, lots of faces being peeled off and that sort of thing, which is always a, a thumbs up from the a gore hound. Um, <laughs> but one, one of the things I was thinking because, because, because Hellraiser. Whether they're rebooting or whatever, but they're remaking, aren't they? they're re-rebooting or redoing something with Hellraiser, and they're bringing reimagining, in, rebooting, re-imagining, whatever, whatever the phrase yeah. du jour is. And it yeah. sounds quite good. That the the guy who's directing it sounds like he's got. He's well, got it brought, no, I saw. And... Is it the Night House? What's it called? Is it called the Night House? With um, with Rebecca Hall in the lead. Oh, I saw this in the night. Um, yes, the, the... it is called that, right? It, yeah, you know, I'm gonna have to check listeners. Now. We're both sorry if we've uh, if we've got the title of that wrong. It's on Disney but, Plus yeah, at the moment. 
Yeah, I think it's called the Night House. I'm going to check actually at the moment. Okay, talking. yeah. But um, and put put a correction on the, uh, oh, on the well, editor's yeah. editor's note. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, it's him. It's it's David Bruckner, I believe, and also. I yes, think it, is, script, sorry, it, is, it is the night house. There you go. I was just watching it on there. The yeah. night house, very, very good. Yeah. Um, and the script, I believe, I mean, obviously I'm not in any way involved with the Hellraiser reboot reimagining, but it's not only Bruckner, it's the guys that wrote the night house as well. Mm. Um, Luke Petrovsky. Oh, you're pushing me now. I don't know. My God, we follow each other on Twitter, so I feel like a twat now. Um, I'm blanking on his partner's name, but but the, the writing team that oh, I do feel bad. The writing team behind. I, I'm 66. Give me a break. It's, it's Alzheimer's. <laughs> I'll um, put a note in below. They'll know. Who okay, it is. Um, but it's the same. Yeah, so it's those guys. So you know, the Nice House certainly had a you know a lot going for it. Mm, so, it's a good film. You know, let's yeah, let's Be hope. I don't know. One thing I would say, because yeah, because doing it, they're also getting a. Um, uh, I don't know to put this way again. Phrase, phrase it correctly. Yeah, I am. That's one thing. Is, is it, uh, a trans act, uh, actor or a gender fluid actor? I'm, I'm unsure. Yeah, J- Jamie Clayton. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I, it's. I don't. Th- I, I. No, this. I'm. For first of all, I didn't sign any NDA, so I'm not obliged. To, um, but I spoke. I spoke to Clive. I don't know, four months ago, maybe three months ago, and um, I, you know, we we didn't have a conversation about it. But I said, "Is it wrapped? How is it? How is? Well, I, I think actually all I said was, "How's Jamie in the in the thing?" And he said, "Looks fantastic." And then and I said, "What's the movie like?" And mm. he said, "Well, it's 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 locked, but they it, it's not locked. It's wrapped, but they haven't shown it to me yet. So, mm. so I can't give you a scoop on whether Clive approves of the movie. But he has seen the Jimmy new in the makeup, the new pinhead, said, fantastic. So excellent, very excited for that. The question is though, with all these legacy films coming up, as we sure. said, like you know, the reimagining of Hellraiser, Halloween's come back." Um, you know, they've got the right sorting out for Jason. I'm pretty sure that'll sort of get these things. Do, you know, would you want to be either involved or would you want to see maybe like the gin come back for sort of like a, a legacy sequel sort of kind of thing? My feeling is always like if they, if they do it good, if they do it well, sure, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think I have the same mixed feelings about this. And and, and I, I don't just mean because it's my material. Um as fans, as consumers, I have mixed feelings. It's like I, I, I te- my default setting is ah, remakes. Mm. And then I remember that the multi remake, yeah. you know, um, and then I remember that Godfather 2 is a sequel or, or Aliens is a sequel. And, and you realize that things can be great. Yeah. So, so I don't really have a, a principled opposition to them, but I do. I, I do have a a vague sense of it would be better to do something new. Yeah. But on the other <laughs> hand, you know, if we get a great Halloween, if we get a great Hellraiser, if we get a great Leprechaun, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, um, then if if the it's like, you know, when bands reform, I keep making music analogies, don't I? <laughs> um, when bands reform after 20 years, I, I'm neither for nor against it. 
if they're if they're fantastic on stage, or even better if they make a great album, then there's a great album. So you know that's a plus. And if you hear the, I mean, I don't know. If we step outside the genre, would it be easier to look at it? If, if we heard they were going to remake Pretty Woman, I, I can't imagine. It's a good a, a point. Less, no, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, that's mean, a really good point, around, actually. Yeah, you know, we we wouldn't be offended, would we? We, we would think, oh, well, um, if they get people as charismatic as Richard Keir and Julia Roberts and the script has some zingers in it, might be a good movie. Mm. Um, but we don't get bent out of shape and defensive. We don't say, how dare you? Yeah. Well, partly, partly because we don't give a shit about Pretty Woman. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I suppose the fact that people do get bent, bent out of shape is actually kind of touching because it means this is how important these movies are. Yeah, there's are. a love and a respect and a desire for yeah, the original. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because obviously, like you know, genre fiction, horror, science fiction, and the works. Like, yeah, that does seem to be the sort of the the churn, doesn't it? Like, you know, that's where all the sequels are. That's when you get the reimaginings or the oh, legacy. Yeah, and, and where the obsessives are. That's, yes, that's when exactly. You get the yeah. real... <laughs> Those idiots yeah. that make they, they make podcasts about this kind of stuff and just yeah, talk exactly. about. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, that's been that's been uh, amazing. And and um, I will say thank you for taking the time today. Um, oh, no, my pleasure. It's been a really enjoyable conversation. Mate. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So much insight as well. And I've, I've really enjoyed it and you know, learned some stuff. And I will be sort of, as I said, unfortunately, every time I have these interviews, my wallet takes a hit because I will be going to find the book um, oh. <laughs> about the making of uh, Hellraiser 3. Are you still 3 recording? And, yeah. Should you want me to stop? Well, I, I, can... gonna, well, I was going to say, I'm sure I've got a PDF of it. I mean, if you, I, I don't have, I, <laughs> I don't have a physical book. I can I, let I me shall know. Drop you, I, I shall drop you. I shall drop you a yes. message, and we shall discuss. But yes, <laughs> but there's always okay. it's always good to find out things. I'm always a I'm a bit of a vacuum for this information. But Peter, anyway, thank you so much for for taking the time to this and, and talking to me. Um, my yeah. pleasure it's been great thank you uh, no, thank you well there you go ladies and a fantastic interview i think you'll agree some real great in-depth stuff there i really enjoyed talking with peter um it was a wonderful conversation even even now i remember it simply based on the fact of i could ask a simple question and he would talk and give me some fantastic answers real like fascinating insight into um how this thing's gone on and uh his relationship with with hollywood anyway for now um this is it for now uh, we're, we're going to be taking a break until after Christmas, so we'll be back in the new year uh, with some material, uh, brand new stuff for the brand new year. Um, so looking forward to all that, and uh, yeah, 20th Century Geek is going to be back full time as we've been doing before, and uh, looking forward to doing more talks. But for now, if you really enjoy what we're doing, please leave a review. Go on to your podcast catcher and leave a review for us, or even better, look down in the notes and find that we have a Patreon. Go check it out. So much stuff on there. Me doing my 30-minute thoughts. Uh, me and Julian from Stories Out Time of Space doing trekking through the Twilight Zone. Uh, we also do uh, additional material for, to sort of supplement Stories Out Time of Space. Lots of sort of re film reviews and other bits and pieces going on. So go check that out. Uh, but for now, ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful New Year. And we'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.